Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's Tech Talks, we are talking to Paul Schultz. He is the Chief Product and Technology Officer of Perkbox. But before that, Happy Easter, Jack. Happy Passover, David. Ah, um, <laughs> I am surrounded by chocolate. Oh, okay. I am surrounded by uh, books. Oh, well, you're healthier than me. I mean, this is this is not good for the Hackney Half on the 19th of May. <laughs> I, de- I devoured a white chocolate egg last night. Well, white chocolate is a bit of a special treat, Dave. So I think, you know, it's Easter, it's white chocolate, it's it's fine to have a cheat weekend. You know, some of us haven't actually eaten that badly this weekend and have oh, well. on a seven-mile run. But look, I don't expect everyone to be an athlete <laughs> like me all the time. So <laughs> I, di- I did go for a 10K run on Friday morning. So Yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's when I went. That's when I went. That's fine. What's oh, your you 10K go. speed, by the way? My um, I, I got my best 10K this weekend. Um. Uh, so I'm pretty impressed with mine. I'll be honest. Go on. Go on. Forty-four minutes, fifteen seconds. Oh, you're a twat. <laughs> mine was like fifty minutes. <laughs> That's still pretty good. That's good. It's still, still pretty good, but it's not forty-four minutes. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, I'm, well, gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be. I'm be in your um, in your wind stream for the half marathon just behind you. I think your slip stream. <laughs> Remember, Jack. I've got to. I've got to climb a Swiss mountain in September oh, yes. whilst running. So, I, I need. I need to push. Um, mm. And th- therefore, the white. Funnily enough, it was kind of like a teenage girls' night in. I devoured a white chocolate egg and watched mm. Greece. Oh, I mean, it's a good night in. I'm not going to lie. That is a good night in. We um, we watched two Marvel films last night, much to my surprise. So I'm back in back in Essex for the week and and. Um, Rosie's brother is watching all the films that lead up to Avengers Endgame, which comes out this week. So That's he's a watching lot. all the Yeah. So last night we watched Ant Man and the Wasp and then Four Ragnarok, which are two of the funniest Marvel films. They are Maybe. both good. Yeah. I'm, I, mean, I just think that they're, they're, they've reinvented the way that we watch these superhero films now, especially Ant Man and, uh, and Thor. Yeah. Ah, oh, they're great films. Just very quickly, yesterday I was in Deepest Darkest Kent. Uh, I, I will okay. share the images on our Instagram, HN Tech Talks. Uh, we, we went to watch a duck race in the village of Smarden. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think you've sounded more middle class before. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Landed gentry or whatever. No, uh, right, this, this is a story of, of pure stupidity on my part. Um, so we had duck 747. Um, okay. And was slightly confused how they were endurance ducks and normal ducks and super ducks. And kind of, I was like, how on earth are they going to keep 700 ducks in the river and not just kind of fly off or, or whatever Surely else? Surely 747's named after an aeroplane though, right? No, no, no. It's just a number. Random, I know, no, but there okay, we go. Right. Um, anyway, yeah, guess yeah. what? Not real ducks. Rubber ducks. What? I, I assumed they would be real <sighs> ducks, which actually in hindsight Why is really they? stupid. No, I'm on your side here, Dave. You were missold information. You were sold fake news. That's what happened to you. <laughs> and, and look what happened. What were they little rubber duckies, just sort of like, like again, poo stick sort of thing, which goes down the river fastest, furthest. Basically, it was like a giant game of poo sticks. Jesus, well, which I'm not happy with that. Hundreds <laughs> of people, seriously, 
hundreds of people turned out to watch. It was brilliant. What'd you win? What'd you win? Oh, if you, I, I think like it was a pound an entry and if your duck won, you got like 15 quid or something. Not a lot. It was more well, the fact okay. it was Easter Sunday and, you know, yeah. there was a barbecue in the local pub. Um, oh, nice. There were genuine spitfires flying overhead as well from the local airfield, which was quite cool. Jeez. Yeah, yeah nothing says Easter like spitfires. Well, there we go. Anyway, <laughs> should we get on with the interview? <laughs> yes, it's one of my favourites of the year, so yes. Cool. Uh, Paul Schultz, as we said, uh, Chief product and technology officer at Perkbox. Uh, this very much touches on themes like innovation and culture. We'll hand you over to Paul and then we'll have some comments afterwards. So today we're talking to Paul. Uh, Paul, you're the Chief Product and Technology Officer here at Perkbox. Thanks for, for allowing us to come in and have a chat. You're welcome. Um, how's your day going? Hectic. Yeah. Every day's hectic. <laughs> That's the nature of a growing company, so fun. Yeah. But definitely non-stop. How long have you been at Birkbox? Just over a year now. Yeah. Uh, I joined the company early last year. Actually, I've known the founders for quite a long period of time. We were at Yahoo together mm -hmm. uh, quite a long time ago. Um, I joined at a time when the company was going through its first major wave of massive growth. And as a result of that, it needed to address a number of scaling issues that it had within the organization, but also the product set. It was going from a one product company in one market to a full product company in three markets. Um, I tripled the product and engineering team over the last year as a result of that growth. Mm -hmm. So we went from just slightly over 30 odd to 97 by the end of last year. And mm -hmm. I think we're just over 100, 100 in size now. Uh, so I, I joined the firm and brought some experience and um, have been on a ride ever since. It's worth just making sure that people are familiar with who and what Perkbox are, just in case anyone listening to the show isn't familiar with your brand. Yeah, so Perkbox, it's kind of a cool name. It works well in the UK, I suppose, in the sense that we have traditionally been a company that's offered some type of employee benefit to organisations as, as an effort to help those organisations engage their workforce and provide a much better employee experience. So Perkbox, as a name, sort of comes from that side of the equation. Over time in the last year, though, we've broadened our offering. We, we have insights, so pulse survey-based products. We have reward and recognition products. And we also offer a medical product into the market that allows anybody in the company to have a low-cost access to an on-call doctor service at any mm -hmm. point. We do all of these things because ultimately we believe that an organisation today to truly engage its workforce needs to have a number of tools at its disposal. Those are some of the tools that we provide, and those tools are designed to either allow employees to have more feedback within the workforce, mm. be part of the conversation that goes on around the job that they do and how they feel and perform within the company, or we give them some financial, either financial or well-being oriented products that just help them live a healthier and, and more financially beneficial life by being at work. What does a reward and recognition product actually look like? Because I've, I've been in conversations with people where they, where they say that actually someone just coming up to you in the moment and they don't, don't, have, don't have to be your manager, they could be anyone from within that business and, and just putting a bit of a, a light on you for doing a good job is, is all it can take to, for someone to feel that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that keeps them at a company. So yeah, what do those products look like? Well, I think, that's, I think that's actually extremely true. I think there's, in many cases, nothing more valuable than somebody coming up and recognising good performance that somebody's done or the extra effort that somebody's put in. And that can be as simple as a very private thank you or it can be a very public thank you. 
So our product tailors to both sides of that equation. On the one hand, it allows people to to cast a spotlight mm-hmm. on those in the organization that are performing who have done something and allows the organization to see the performance of those people in a broader sense. Or it also allows them to be rewarded in a more private sense, so a manager rewarding somebody in their team who's gone beyond um, or delivered a value in some way, shape or form mm-hmm. to the company. But equally, there are many people in a company that, that aren't broadly recognized by management in some way, shape or form, but they are recognized more at the grassroots level within the organization. So part of our reward and recognition product is a very much a poll-based mechanic that allows people to vote for those that they that they see a representation of the question being asked and rewarded as part of winning the poll. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of two sides of the equation. I think managers and people who run teams uh, drive part of the process, but equally... Like a lot of our products, we just generally believe if you've got the the company and the organization participating in the process, actually you can make a lot more things transparent that are a lot of greater value to people who are doing their job. You, you mentioned that you've scaled you know, really rapidly, 30 to 97, and into new geographies in the last yeah. year, right? Yes. Well, actually, the company overall is... Uh, closer to 270 in size now. We definitely sorry, that was, that was the engineering team. Yeah, yeah, so the yeah. engineering team, which constitutes about 100 of those. I think we we've traditionally been in the UK um, for the last four to five years. Mm-hmm. Um, we now recently have launched in France, so we have an office in Paris, and we've also oh. now just launched in Australia, so we have an office in Sydney. When you go to those countries, do you find that the attitudes towards reward and recognition are actually surprisingly unified, or do you see bigger cultural differences than 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 yeah, that? There's, you- there's definitely there's definitely difference. Uh, I would say Australia and the UK are fairly closely aligned. I think yeah. culturally, although geographically very separate, culturally there's a lot of similarity. There's a lot of similarity in the workforce. There's a lot of similarity with the dynamics of the way the workforce is set up. France, however, is a slightly different equation. Uh, It is a regulated market. It is an incentivized market through government incentive programs that that companies generally embrace as part of their overall employee reward structure. And therefore, they have stricter regulatory requirements with Mm. respect to the way some of these products work because there's various tax advantages to to reward schemes that run. Whereas I think the UK uh, and the Australian environments are probably a lot freer. Um, therefore, they work in a more of a dot-com kind of fashion, mm. whereas when you look to offer these products in more regulated markets, I think you need to take into account the government regulatory structures that are in place in those markets. Now, as you move into different markets and as you start working with more clients, you're probably encountering the fact that your client base is a slight, has a slightly different dynam- dynamic, I suppose, to the traditional working environment. Yeah. You mentioned before we hit record that 50% of, of, of the workforce will now be millennials. Mm. Is it from next year? Yeah, so broadly from 2020, I think they sort of say in most Western markets, 46% of the workforce will be millennial. A lot's been made of the whole millennial, Gen Z differences. Oh, yeah. And there's obviously those talks that Simon Sinek gives and yes. so on. Yes. I've heard a degree of scepticism about that. Mm. But I can definitely see that people entering the workforce now do seem to feel... Uh, they, they are looking for some some kind of purpose or to be building something yeah, beyond I mean, salary. But what do you think is going on there? People definitely people definitely talk about that. There's a couple of things that people say with millennials when they come into the workforce. The first thing they say, oh, is they're, they're not loyal. They jump jobs constantly. Oh, they don't respond to the same incentives and rewards that we traditionally see as part of the workplace. 
Truth of the matter is, though, that when you think about it, millennials are the first truly native digital generation. You know, mm. they've, they've grown mm. up in an environment where they're very used to constant feedback, expressing opinion in real time, on demand, in some way, shape, or form. And as a result, they live in a they live in a world and a place where they feel way more connected than older generations feel in some way, shape, or form, and therefore feel a little bit more passionate about values and the things that they contribute to that drive society forward in some way, shape, or form. So we traditionally, I'm an older person, but when I went to work, I went to work to earn an income to then be able to spend that income with my family or outside of the workplace. Today, people come into work not necessarily just to earn an income. They come into work to perform a function that has some cause associated with it, but they also expect to be connected in that environment in a fundamentally different way. So most people today, particularly millennials, don't necessarily want a boss. They want a mentor. They want somebody that they can learn from, somebody that they can grow from, somebody that recognizes the strengths and not necessarily the weaknesses. They want to be able to transparently and at any real time give some feedback on the way they're feeling in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And they expect that to be heard and they expect it to be acted upon in some real way, shape or form. And in in addition, they expect that feedback coming through channels that they would inherently and traditionally use as part of their everyday communication processes. So I think it is true that people really generalize millennials and to some degree that generalization sounds unfair but if you un, if you really look at the underlying behavior of a generation that has grown up more connected than anyone else before it is absolutely not unreasonable to expect when they come into the workforce that they ex- that 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 type of behavior needs to be supported and therefore the workplace has changed mm. and the way HR departments look at supporting culture in the workplace has changed. The tools and technologies that we need to use in the workplace to engage our workforce that is used to that type of behaviour has changed. Mm. And it's pretty much why companies like us exist and actually why the future for companies like us is enormous because it's not going back. Yeah, It's going forward and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Out of interest, how do you maintain innovation as you scale and grow? Because new people coming into an organisation and those people who've got that sense of purpose will probably bring fresh ideas that you want to tap into. Yeah. But as an organisation gets bigger, sometimes it could be harder to navigate yes. around the yes. best channels to do that. Yeah, sometimes it's challenging. I think traditionally, I think I've been building product, software product now for 27 odd years. Mm. And I'd say when I started my life, there was a lot of R&D related activity. You'd kind of conceptualize what you wanted to do. You do a bit of a proof of concept and then you go through a build phase and you release and put it into the market. Now we all know that particularly since the dot-com generation started, that the get it out there quickly, get the feedback thing going is the most important approach because actually you broadly know what the market wants, but until the market shows you how it responds to what you want, you don't really know. For us, it's a little bit different as well because we are an employee experience company we are building products that help companies engage their workforce by providing a better employee experience so therefore the way our company operates the culture that our company has is a big fundamental part of our product design and development process Mm. so in many ways we leave our 
workforce free. They you know, they use communication tools like Slack. They integrate those tools in innovative ways to various channels and technologies that we've got in the organization. They create demand because they suggest that if we use Slack this way or we dropped email this way or we use Notion this way in terms of blogging and, and whatever the tool was, um, or we integrated Salesforce this way or we hooked in NetSuite the other way, that drives some level of innovation within the organization because it talks to trying to simplify process but trying mm. to make process more responsive in terms of the tools and technologies that they use. That's one part of the equation. But I think the other side of it is it's just a cultural thing, right? I think at the end of the day, if you, if you say to yourself that no longer the mechanic is about rewarding employees by every month they get a pay packet and you say that it's an ongoing conversation that you've got to have with employees throughout their entire life with you while they're in the organization there are 50 million ideas that come from that process right yeah, yeah. And, and it starts with how do you facilitate the conversation do you do it publicly do you do it privately do you anonymously or do you attach name to it how do you feedback the result of the conversation such that one person understands that they got the feedback but the rest get the benefit of it and you just have to do a lot of trial and error and mm-hmm. i think people will lead you down a certain path because they will encourage you with ideas um, we run hack days, we, we, we do all the normal things that a tech kind of company will do to try to foster innovation. But at the end of the day, largely it just comes by understanding how our employees work and um, what they see as beneficial and what they get value from. Just um, bringing this conversation full circle and back to an end, if we finish on, on your role here, we, we mentioned about uh, what it is that you do at the beginning and, and how long you've been here. but. Chief Products and Technology Officer combines two different hats. And you mentioned that you'd uh, yeah, you'd been uh, building software products for the last 20 years. Which which is the more comfortable hat for you to wear? That's a good question, actually. Um, so I, my, my background is definitely technology. You know, I, yeah. I started as a software engineer and became a CTO relatively quickly, I suppose, in my career. And I've been a CTO for quite a long period of time, done a lot of research and development. Um, and a lot of global kind of comms stuff through dot coms, um, well-known dot coms. I think the technology space is a very easy space for me. Um, the product space, though, has always inherently been part of the equation because you don't, uh, when you work in, actually I've worked at Yahoo, I've worked at a lot of telcos around the world, I've looked at, worked at SaaS providers building product. You don't build product because you're a technologist liking to build technology for technology's sake you build it because you're trying to make a difference to somebody's life at the end of the day yeah. through the product that you build so you do tend to think product i would say being a chief product officer has been a learning experience for me for sure um, it is the least comfortable zone for me because at the end of the day it means that you've got to be much more attuned to customer feedback you do have to sit with them you have to hear the good and the bad Mm. and you have to be objective about that and you have to be responsive to it on the technology side you tend to be a little bit shielded from that process Um, on the product side you've also got to think more specifically about really where the market is going and and where your vision is going in the context of what you're building rather than how the technology fits to deliver the vision which do you think is more likely to be the most influential in emerging businesses moving forward over the next couple of years? And I only ask that because of the high availability of vendors offering cheap technology solutions now to businesses. Uh, so I would say, I'd say there's always a really 
important strong place for a CTA without doubt. Right. Um, but I would say this hybrid of being a very good product person with a very strong technical background is probably the right mix ultimately. Because at the end of the day, as a young early stage company, you are about getting product to market. And getting product to market is, is a lot more about going product through product lifestyle related activities, the, the analytics, the really understanding the way that the market is responding to your product, making some either instinctive or experimentally based decisions um, on the direction that your product needs to go. That tends to be relatively devoid of technical decisions so, so long as the enabling technology is in place and you've made strong sensible good technology choice really it is a product development product design yeah. go to market kind of problem and i think that will never go away because mm-hmm. that's the nature of building new business um, certainly the tech stack just it goes up and up and up and up and you know you get more tools at your disposal you don't have to spend so much time doing some of the stuff you did a year ago uh, but it doesn't take away from the need to have strong technical guidance and I enjoy both sides Paul I really appreciate you giving up some time to have a chat with us and uh, we'll let you get back to your rather hectic day no problem thanks a lot right Jack you said it was one of your favourites why I mean I don't want to I don't want to disregard any of the others but Paul comes up well doesn't come up with Paul just says some pure some superbly amazing quotes and my favourite one of all and I can't believe a, I haven't heard it, and B, I didn't think of it. Millennials want mentors, not bosses. And it only took me hearing that to realise just how bloody true he is. You know, I think of the bosses I've worked for, and they've all been fantastic, but I've always treated them more as a mentor, you know, learning from them and then moving on and taking that. And, you know, I'm a millennial, you're a millennial. I think just but the old, just, yeah. The only <laughs> bo- boss and sort of, boss and employee doesn't really fly with our generation and especially doesn't with Gen Z you know and I think we sort of paved that way by using our bosses as mentors taking everything we like from them but also realizing that they've got their flaws Mm. whereas in the past you might have just tried to emulate emulate your boss to get successful like they were whereas maybe we're just a bit savvier at picking what we like but I just thought in sort of five words encapsulated exactly what it's like for a millennial in the workforce yeah, and we should point out that this is mentor in the UK, European sense, not the US sense, because we have got some US listeners. So there What's is the US a, sense? Uh, it's subtly different in the US. It's kind of like a mentor is someone that you literally shadow and kind of you, you ah. go up on, you, you go through their, your career on their coattails effectively. Um, right. Whereas this is more not of a what coaching. We're talking about, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was really interesting the way that he just, because we do focus a little bit sometimes overly much on this generational shift. We've talked about it on the podcast yes. before as people will be, will be aware, but I love the fact that he points out that digital natives are used to fast, direct feedback. They're more connected than ever. Mm-hmm. They've grown mm-hmm. up with it. So it's not unreasonable to expect them to want that in the workplace. And I think that's a really neat way of, of, of describing yeah. what's going on here. And it makes perfect yeah. sense with social. We are used to likes, maybe not unlikes, yeah but certainly likes, comments, you know, how many, how many pictures when you post it on Instagram, I mean, that, that brings with it some negative aspects, of course, but of course. we are plugged into this hyper quick feedback loop. And, and so I, I suppose it isn't unreasonable that that translates through to work. Well, why, why, why should we have to wait for feedback anymore when every other part of our life, we get it instantly, you know, we are, we are in the on-demand instant age. And I think, yeah, we, we, we want that feedback. And, uh, 
and I think in, in the past, maybe, maybe even even older millennials, and I'm not including you here, Dave, but they take feedback one way or another way, and it is what it is. Whereas I think maybe maybe not so much millennials and Gen Z, but just younger people are more used to nasty comments in their day-to-day life. So maybe they're a bit more resilient with feedback. I don't know. I mean, social media has its has its um, dangers, of course, but it does actually make you a little bit more resilient. Um, I, I do believe that. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is another discussion. But maybe we are just a bit better at receiving feedback. I don't know, but we do want it fast. That is one thing we do want. Yeah, and I mean, look, I don't know whether it makes you more resilient, but he kind of echoes something similar, I suppose, in that... that company voting is more transparent rather than just a manager coming up to you and, and yeah. passing comments yeah. on your work this idea that the entire company can kind of vote for you if, if you if you're deserving of recognition i suppose being transparent that 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 really does put you out there to have others pass comments on your work and i think done in the right way that can be really positive um one thing Absolutely. that jumped out at me that that actually brought together some some thought from a lot of these podcasts that um i i probably hadn't been able to articulate before mm. i think it's really important that the culture of a of a of a digital business any business actually for that matter but but you know in this emerging space culture should mirror the products that you're offering he makes some really interesting points about Perkbox being simple and responsive in its feedback internally uh, yep. and, and that their employees are free to create demand and that drives innovation. And if we think about it with companies like LabStep, they had a scientific culture in their business. If we think about Forward yep. Health, they had eight uh, out of nine of their initial employees were, were, were medical professionals. Um, you think about Koala and they all love going on holiday all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and having a good time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's something that we've never really stressed and maybe it's something that people oh, should yeah. think about culture the culture that you're building internally should mirror the products that you're offering if product is king and he he very much says that you know getting products to the market yeah. and being product led is important um mm. then you should really carefully think about the culture internally and does it mirror that it's, it's imperative that if you're portraying yourself as this you know not even a cool funky startup but if you're if you're selling such an amazing perk related product it makes total sense that you would emulate that in your business. And I think culture, as we know, is incredibly important, but to, to marry that with your own product and your own vision is integral to maintaining the vision past series A, B funding, you know, and making it to huge, huge statuses. I think you need, you need, they need to be hand in hand product and culture because they almost not breed each other, but you know what I mean? They, they, they help each other move and roll on together. And I think, if your culture grows as your product grows and as your, as your culture diversifies, your products diversify, it's, yeah, it's, it's a recipe for success. And, you know, there are people out there that can articulate that a lot better than you and I, Dave. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and one can last I just thing. make one last thing? Oh, we both have on. one last thing. No, this is a quite an adult point for me because obviously this is the first kind of role, CPTO, Chief Product and Technology Officer, yeah. that I'd really heard of all in one person, you know. And I just wanted to, it's, it, it's, it's a note that I made and, uh, and uh, Paul says, the CPO side has to be a learning experience. It's far less comfortable. It has to have much more attuned to customer feedback. You have to hear it all, bad, good, indifferent. Basically, you've got to put on a brave face no matter what. Whereas the CTO is protected from this brutality almost by getting their hands dirty with the product or, yeah. or, or the tech, sorry, they're, 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 they're shielded from this, this instant feedback. And now 
maybe that's not the same in every business, but I just kind of, it was very interesting to me that the CPO in, in, in Paul's vision, you know, takes the flag and, and takes all the bullets whilst the CTO is, is making the changes and making the product. And stuff. So I just think there's a really interesting point. that um, Yeah, I had yeah. he does point out the, the importance of the chief technology officer. I, I think the interesting, oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the interesting uh, kind of distinction that he makes is that product is about seeing where the market is going but you still need someone to work out where tech fits into an organization. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, this guy just can do it both in one person. I mean, wow. Well, he's got that, you know, 27 years worth of experience. We've spoken before about maybe having someone who's a little bit mature in your business with the likes of Ideal Flatmates uh, as a chairman. And yeah. Someone who yeah. can come in and really help grow your business. Um, look, yeah. one quick, one, one last point on, on my part, and it's more of a question. I don't really have the answer to this, and maybe it's something right. that people could get in touch with, but regulated markets good for innovation or not he talks about the fact that france is heavily regulated um mm. australia and the uk less so um we've had done everyone i think i'll try and articulate the point that responsible leadership leads to uh more considered innovation responsible leadership probably fits into a more regulated market than a lack of regulation but a lack of regulation has been probably the thing that's been good for the fintech market so yeah. I don't know. Do, do people think that regulated markets lead to better innovation? You have to be more considered and probably more, more thoughtful, but I suppose a, a lack of regulation does allow you to try more things. I, it's just a question. I'm not sure. And it's one that this kind of threw up in my mind. It's a bizarre one as well, because obviously we had uh, Drivey on um, a couple of weeks ago, and that was born out of Mar Bordeaux, right? Yeah. And that is car sharing, which I oh, would have been heavily... Oh, Leon, sorry. But yeah. I thought that would have been a, a really oh, no, shit, hard one to get around regulation. Marseille. Marseille. Yes, there we go. Just <laughs> the Tour de France with Drivy there. Drivy, <laughs> yes. not Drivy. Drivy. Hang on. So we had Drivy on. Wait. No, Drivy. We had Drivy, sorry. not Drivy. Dr Drivy sorry, was the yeah. name that I accidentally gave them that was my error. So we've both made that error now. Apologies, Kate. <laughs> So we had Drivey on a couple of weeks ago. And yes. I, yeah, they basically were born out of France. And I, you know, it surprises me that it's so heavily regulated because that to me is quite a, you know, you're sharing your car with someone. They're going into your car and using it all day. So that, that was quite surprising to hear that. But um, I don't know, Dave, I, I, I think innovation is good here, but it could be better if we got rid of regulation. But then you need regulation to, you know, make sure we don't get taken over by robots and whatever so it's yeah it's, it's a question way above our our intelligence levels i think clearly as the last probably two minutes have shown um yeah. right on that note <laughs> we'll go to an advert break stay with us though we've got a couple of news stories uh after this short interlude farewell but not goodbye do you know what that is no. bobby robson's autobiography all the better read by bobby robson no way yeah what a legend of the game he was. Exactly. It's a great book to read, but listening to Bobby Robson talking you through his life, that's special. Exactly. My choice is uh, The Sisters Brothers, which is a film starring Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Riley that has been released worldwide apart from in the UK. So I'm going to listen to the audiobook. If anyone's wondering why we've suddenly started talking about books, it's because if you head over to audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, you can get a free month's trial there, courtesy of your favourite technology podcast. Get listening. Welcome back to the show. Uh, the Easter Monday, it's not really a special because we're not doing anything particularly special, but <laughs> Easter Monday show. Jack, what have you got for us today? 
So this is this quite an interesting little article, actually, because, you know, I love competition in the marketplace, but there's a slight snag with this one. So Sony becomes Uber's newest rival in Japan. Just what we need. Another huge conglomerate taking over. Uh, it's called S-Ride and it has a combined fleet of over 10,000 cabs. Uber's fledgling cab hailing service in Japan has a new competitor and it's not by one of its usual rivals. It's called S-Ride. And it's a taxi hailing app created by Sony in partnership with not one, but five Japanese taxi companies. Now, maybe this is good for Japan that they're using more local taxi companies. I don't know. What I do know is Sony are there now. Is it just because they've got such a market share in Japan or will Sony come over further west? I don't know. But It makes sense for just, Sony being a Japanese yeah. company where they will have a lot more brand equity. So they're far, far more likely to be able to enter that market uh, on a level playing field there than they would say here. Here, people go, Sony? Cars? Really? Yeah. I mean, they would take more of faith. Um, whereas, I suppose, in Japan, people are going to be far more accepting and, oh. and willing to back that brand. A spokesperson told CNET that Sony has no plans to, to release the app outside the country. There you go. So it's just it's just for our Japanese oh. listeners. Of oh, yeah. It's probably none. <laughs> of course. But, if, if it's a huge commercial success, that won't change. Well, exactly right. But I think it was born out of, I don't think Uber's been that well received out there and they've um, got the Olympics coming up Tokyo. So they want to sort of try and get some in, more infrastructure in place. And if that's S-Ride by Sony, then fair play. But yeah, what, what, a just, brilliant, uh, what a brilliant opportunity for them to take that to other countries. You know, yeah, all over yeah. tourists coming in and going, oh, hey, there's this cool alternative. Why can't I use it in wherever it is? <laughs> Exactly. So it's, I, I think it's a smart move by Sony, but it's 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 a slightly unusual one, right? You know, yeah. getting into cab hailing and stuff. But I suppose they're diversifying to get a larger share of the market, though. But hey, who knows? But I just thought that's quite an interesting little snappy news yeah, for you there, Dave. I thought, I thought so. Uh, mine is in in praise of Pinterest. Oh, so Dominic Rush uh, at Dominic Ru uh, is mm-hmm. writing in the Guardian. Uh, they're the latest Silicon Valley unicorn, valued at 15 billion. Their shares leapt 25% in, in a spectacular New York Stock Exchange debut. Now, that's that's fairly incredible. Like we 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 are aware that they are the latest of these huge kind of stock sales from Silicon Valley unicorns. Mm. Quite often, kind of, they have this huge moment on the stock market and then it just kind of contracts a bit. So the shares will soar and then they'll, they'll fall sharply. Um, so mm. lift, lift uh, most recently, but we obviously were aware that kind of similar happens to um, the likes of, my mind's gone blank, but there are other big companies that that's happened to. So never mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's kind of cool because Pinterest have, if you think about it, stayed out of um they've controversy. Out of the controversy that some of the other businesses in mm. this space have 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 had to deal with um they're used by eight out of ten moms apparently in the u.s wow 25 wow. million people a month which is eight out of ten moms in the u.s um their shares were priced at 19 dollars and began trading at 23.75 they ended the yeah. day up by 28%, right? Um, and I think it's kind of cool because I do think I really, is a little bit different to everything else that's out there. It is. And I've never really used Pinterest. I've never, I've never really seen it as something that I, I no, want to I do, you know. But my wife yeah. adores it. Uh, and, if, uh, if and you know, a wedding, kind of wedding boards and so on. Yes. 
But I just think for me, like it, like what you just said there, they've, they've had no controversy yet. They've probably got as much data on anyone as Facebook or whatever, because you're literally only making a page of things you like. Right. So they could have, I mean, look, let's be honest. They probably have sold data and all the rest of it, but they've avoided the mega controversy like the Facebooks, the Googles and all the rest of it. So yeah, well done to Pinterest. I hope you're making, well, they are making a lot of money at the moment. So good for them. I like Pinterest. So, I think it's. Do we get a, do we get a tech talks Pinterest page and just do our our, our ideal show? Pin off a, do, I don't know. Yeah, what would we do on yeah. it? I mean, pin cakes. No, I'd like. Lo- I don't think it's very. I'd like to get a lot of Elon Musk pictures. He'd be a good guest to have on the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, reaching there possibly, mate. Uh, yeah, by the way, I have um, added him a few times. Yeah, go on. We're big fans of Zoom. We're using Zoom right now. Pinterest wasn't yep. the only unicorn to go public on, on, on Thursday. Zoom had another yep. spectacular debut, surging by 72%. Jesus. Yeah. Now valued at 16 billion. It is the premium, you know, version of Skype out there that's free and easy to use. I mean, like you say, we use it for, for when we're not in the same room together. And well, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's freemium with a premium feel. Premium. Oh, yes. Well, it's true. I've never heard that. Yeah, I've just never heard that. It's a great word. I don't know whether I've made it up or not. I don't think I can be attributed with that. But yeah, there we go. Oh, you definitely didn't make it up. Come on. <laughs> I've heard it somewhere without realising. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Uber's expected to go public next month. That'll be interesting. Uh, um, I'm going to go eat some stuff, probably some chocolate. Uh-huh. I don't know what I'm going to do. I might try and attempt a little three-mile run around Rosie's parents' village, but... Let's be honest, I probably won't. Yeah. Well, enjoy your Easter bank holiday Monday. Uh, yeah. And to everyone else out there, do the same. I hope you've had a lovely Easter weekend and we'll be back on Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.